0: This is episode 17 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. I left off in episode 15 talking about how I learned to read and, and promising you that I would finish up that story on my, my come to heart moment. So just as a quick refresher, I talked about, for me, one of the important pieces in learning to read to do clairvoyant readings was to have a sense that somebody had my back, to have a sense of connection. And I mentioned that that includes uh, having a teacher and having colleagues that I can uh, um, consult with. But for me, it also means having uh, some sort of connection to spirit. And I don't really believe that everybody has to have this. Like, that's not actually part of my belief system, but this is how it happened for me. Before we dive into the story, I just want to thank all of my Patreon supporters and anyone who's new. Full disclosure that I'm recording this a few weeks early, so uh, I won't be mentioning individual names, but I know that there are some supporters coming in. I can feel that, and I'm so, so, so grateful for that. At the end of today's session, I will be doing a group Oracle again as I continue to get um, good feedback on that. So have a question in mind and at the end of the podcast, I will come back on with a message from Spirit. All right, so I'll do my best to tell a good story here. Full Another full disclosure is that I don't create super detailed notes. I create a couple of bullet points when I tell these stories and then I just allow them to go where they need to. So these episodes are fairly unscripted and I hope I hope you enjoy that. As I've said a few times in my podcast, I am just one of those people who was born a seeker. I don't know how else to explain that, but I've always sought out understanding. I've always sought out to know the details behind something. I've always been really curious about why people do what they do. And I've always sought meaning. That's just always been a part of me. And I recognize that that's not a part of everyone. That's not where a lot of people like to spend their time. And that's totally valid too. But this has always been there for me. And my mom would attest to this. I was that kid <laughs> in my early talking years of, well, why? Why? And I actually remember once, I was like, why is the sky blue? And I don't remember what my mom said. And I was like, but why? But why? And I think that she thought I was trying to annoy her or push her buttons or something like that. But I just, the the answers that I was getting didn't settle. It didn't, Resonate. There, there wasn't a conclusion, and so I, I just wanted to know. I wanted to know more and more and more. And so, for me, um, you know, getting to the heart of something, getting at least to a place where something resonates, has always been really important to me. I talked a bit in episode fifteen about growing up in a uh, kind of non-spiritual family. Um, in a really religious part of Utah. And, you know, I talked about the confusion around rules and righteousness and what are the rules around um, getting to understand God or being connected to God. And, oh, and and there, there were parts of my past growing up where I did feel connected, but usually these connections were short-lived. So I'll give a couple examples. The first times when I felt connected are those times, like I said in the previous episodes, in my early, early childhood when I didn't know yet about rules. And so it was really natural for me to be connected and to feel like I had spiritual support around me. That was just my MO. It wasn't until I moved into elementary school and became aware of rules that I really started to feel like an outsider and feel like I didn't have what it took to be part of a connection to God because... My family wasn't religious, we didn't follow the rules, I didn't really understand what the rules were, (laughs) all that sort of thing. And there would be lots of times growing up where I would go to church with my friends. Um, They would invite me to church, and I would go to church with them. Now, that was always a really scary experience for me, actually. Because I, there was so, there, it felt like there was so much writing on it. So I really, really wanted to, A, be doing something with my friends. And then, B, be learning more about what it takes to have this connection. And learning more about these secrets about the universe that everybody seemed to know, except for me. And so i go, and, and uh, Mormon church is like, really long. <laughs> for someone like me so when I would go to church there would be kind of this gathering of everybody in the ward or the congregation and then you would separate into groups Um, sometimes I think when you're older it's based on on sex or gender and then not that those two are the same thing but um, it's based on something like that and then when you're younger it's kind of divided up by age and so when I was really little, I'd go into kind of this primary group and I was, I always felt like a deer caught in headlights because at least in my hometown, I stuck out like a sore thumb because people knew that I was not of that faith. And usually they were very, very hopeful that me going to church would be, you know, they, they kind of hoped to bring me into the folds and to, to, to be there. Um, and so they were usually pretty kind to me. <clears throat> I remember this time where I was staying with my my aunt and uncle for a bit, and I went to church with my. It wasn't actually my cousin; it was my cousin's cousin. Um, anyway, we played together the whole week, and I went to church with her. And that was in Idaho. And in Idaho. At that church, because they didn't know me, they assumed that I was just another Mormon-, Mormon visiting from somewhere else. And they asked me to choose a song in primary. And I was mortified because I didn't know any of the songs. <laughs> and so my, my cousin's cousin, she just like bent over and whispered in my ear some sort of song. And, and then I did that. And I remember then also um, sitting with her... Um, in kind of the general congregation that I didn't know any of the words to the hymns and I felt really awkward but I wanted to follow the rules and to sing the songs correctly and she because she knew the rules there was like this funny way that she could act outside of them right because she was an insider and I remember she turned to me with kind of this mischievous look in your eye and she was like just sing hamburgers, hot dogs, and pizza, and it'll fill fill in all of the words. And so I did. So us two little girls were singing hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza. Anyway, (laughs) so I had some fun experiences um, at church with my friends, but my family had really family-oriented activities on the weekends. And in the winter, we skied. And you know, one time my dad said, "This is our church. This is what we do. We go to the mountain, we um, worship the nature, you know, we ski the powder. And, and that's what we do. And then in the summer, we had a lake house and I realize how privileged I am to say this. We had this lake house, kind of a cabin, and we were there every weekend. So there weren't a lot of free weekends, a couple in the spring, a couple in the fall where I would even have the opportunity to go to church with somebody. When I was 11 or 12 I got invited to the Mormon girls camp and so this was something that um, in the Mormon church when you're I don't know between the ages of maybe 12 and 18 I'm not actually really sure you're part of like the young women's, and there's also young men's. And so the young women had a camp every year. And my parents were like, sure, like go ahead and go to your camp. Go to this camp with your friends. You know, my dad's all into camping, so he's like, that'll be great. And you know, my mom had gone, before because she was raised in the Mormon faith. And so she was happy to let me go. And it was a lot of fun. Like we did a lot of crafts. The The camp was actually at the, on the lake where our lake house was. So I was familiar with the, the water and we got to camp on the sand. And um, there were older girls there that we got to learn from. And there was just a lot of really fun activities. At night, however, there was a lot of you know, a lot of spiritual content. Obviously, it's a, you know, religious or spiritual-based camp. I remember one night really vividly. And it was this night where the girls were asked to bear their testimony. And, and this is a thing in the Mormon faith where basically people are asked to express their faith and how they've come by that and to give testimony of that which I I think is a beautiful thing I still do and a bunch of people had given their testimonies and I remember feeling really moved and really vulnerable and really happy to be included in like this secret society of faith keepers and I stood up, and I don't know if there's a talking stick or what, but I stood up and I said, "I do well, I do not remember what I said. I think I said something like, you know, this feels really good. I want to know God. I hope that I can learn to be righteous. And my best friend at the time, she was my best friend through from kindergarten to about sixth grade, stood up after me and gave her testimony and said, you know, Anna's here asking about being righteous, and I can't imagine anyone more righteous than her. This was a really big moment for me because It felt like validation that I had somehow gotten it right. I had somehow read between the lines in order to understand what it meant to follow the rules to be close to God. And I took this feeling um, through the rest of camp, and I think it was the next day that we had to pack up camp, and I felt, felt really settled and really determined that I was going to follow along this path because I didn't know another one. There, was, there had been no other way presented to me. This was it. This was, this was what I had access to besides skiing. <laughs> this, is, this was it. So my dad actually came to pick me up, uh, or my family did, actually in the boat um, on the lake. Um, and so we you know, took off to our lake house, and I remember being really excited to share with my family kind of these spiritual revelations that I'd had, the f- sensations that I'd had in my body, the sense of connection that I'd had, and, and to proclaim to them how I would be following the rules of, of this Mormon faith so that I could maintain my connection to spirit. That did not go over well. <laughs> my mom had grown up in the Mormon faith but had left the church for her own reasons, and my father is, is still to this day an atheist, and he's, he has very strong feelings against the Mormon faith and thinks believes that there's brainwashing happening and and that sort of a thing. So when I explained to him that I would be following these rules, that I would be going to church when I could, that I would be studying the scriptures, that I would be partaking in young women activities, and that I would be doing things like not swimming on Sundays. Um, there's there's a rule about that that I don't actually know more about. I just knew at the time that it was a rule. My dad lost his shit. And I remember this really, really vividly um, because I was wearing this red bandana on my head. And I just remember, and I saw, see this like flashing of red in my memory. I was sitting on the the lower bunk bed in our <clears throat> lake house, and my dad. Just I was, I was like bearing my soul to my father, and my dad just started shouting at me and was so angry um, that I had had these spiritual revelations and truly believed, I think, with every ounce of his heart that I had been brainwashed into believing these things which I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think I had. I think this was just the option that was presented to me, and I really wanted to connect with God. And so my dad threatened me. He said, you will not do this. You will not. And if you do, if you continue basically to defy me, to go and, and follow these, the rules of this faith, I will move our family to Montana. I, I have no idea why he used Montana, by the way, but he basically said, I will not have this. And, and you will not, you will not be Mormon. My dad actually said, he really had a thing against Mormons. He said, he once told me, and it might have been at the same time, he said, Anna, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up, except Mormon. At that time, I was, in, I was really in between a rock and a hard place. I wanted to have this connection to God. I also wanted to be part of my family. To be honest, I don't remember exactly what transpired after that. I think that I studied scripture a little bit in my free time. Um, but my, I do remember my father talking to me a lot more, and, and not so much in that, you know, argumentative way, but in a way where he was just trying to help me understand his point of view. And eventually, I came to see not exactly his point of view, but as I moved into my teenage years and studied a bit more of the, you know, those rules that I had so you know wanted to to follow i realized that they didn't they act, the actual rules didn't resonate the sense of spirit that i had and the sense of connection that i had in that fire circle to the other women there was real but it didn't resonate with those rules so i moved on and in high school i started exploring other churches in the the towns, the town that I lived in and the valley, and basically that was that were different. I call them different flavors of Christianity, um, because I didn't notice huge differences in the different churches that I went to. And for a while, I eventually settled on the ones that had the best music, <laughs> just because I loved singing so much. And so there was something about You know, being in a place, singing with others, being in a place where we could feel faith and sing was just so wonderful to me. And like I had said earlier, you know, my family had things that we did on the weekends. And as I got deeper into my teen years, I um, not only did we have the lake house, but I started playing competitive fast pitch softball and we had tournaments on the weekends and then I started ski racing in, in the winter, and we had, you know, ski races every weekend. And so I, I went to church sometimes in the spring and fall, and you might be wondering what my dad thought about this um, based on his past reaction, but he always actually gave me money for the, the um, donation basket and said, you know, have a great time. And loved that I was trying to figure something out for myself, which I, which I really, really appreciated. I mean, do I think my dad would have totally disowned me had I chosen to become Mormon? No, I don't think so. Um, because even though he really has a challenging time understanding what I do now, that's a whole other podcast, um... He wants to love and accept me. So again, I was seeking in my teenage years, and I had experiences in Christian churches where I let Jesus into my heart, and I felt that flow of spirit, and I felt that connection, and I had that deep, body sensation in my heart like yes and then those rules again there was something about the rules that created constriction and when i say that they created constriction for me i mean that they actually stopped that flow of spirit So where others might see the rules and the sense of spirit like combining or strengthening each other, that was not my experience. So my experience was that when I did everything to follow those rules, that feeling of spirit was lost. And when I sought out things that I resonated with, then that feeling of spirit was there. So I left those churches behind. I never really stuck with one. And when I went to college in Missoula, Montana, I studied with a Buddhist group for a little while, trying to understand Buddhism. I read the Tao Te Ching trying to understand that and for a little while in the spring of my freshman year i had oh not freshman year sorry my sophomore year spring of my sophomore year i had this really fun little group of friends and we would get up early and we would meet i remember in this sunroom on top of my friend's house and we would drink tea and eat scones and we would discuss religion and philosophy. And it, it didn't last all that long and and I'm actually not in contact with these friends anymore, unfortunately. But it was this was the precursor to that trip to Colorado where I was starting to study traditions that I had you know, heard of maybe at one point in a history class or a world religions class, but hadn't ever considered as a path forward. And so it was at, at that time then in my kind of the middle of my junior year in college that I went to Colorado. And you can really listen to episodes 11 and 13 for more of that, that story. And just as a reminder, if you haven't read that, kind of the coming to heart moment in Colorado was receiving some of those, some of my first reading um, and information about Gaia and and being connected to that goddess spirit. And that took me on a bit of a journey um, into pagan and Wiccan traditions. Um, and I did a lot of research and studying there. And that was something that I resonated with, again, for a while. Um, I still just have this thing about rules. It's funny because I was such a rule follower. And then when it really came to it, it's like the rules didn't resonate. Um, and I know I say this a lot, but I I think I could do a whole podcast on... Um, how we honor traditions, like honor the past and where we came from, while updating the information in a way that's appropriate for our time, our level of consciousness, and our needs. Um, that's something that I'm actually working to do in my School for Sacred Rebellion. So anyway, I didn't have a, you know, many more come-to-heart moments um, in any sort of religious setting, f- I don't know, again, maybe. <laughs> but, but what happened after that was I continued to deepen my relationship to spirit through the energy work um, that I was doing with uh, intuitives and in the practices they gave me, and then also through nature, Nature was the one place that I found I could almost always receive the same resonating sensations of spirit that I received in those circles and in those churches. So I found that I didn't need the building, I didn't need the rules. For me, what I needed was the space and the quiet of the forest, for example. And when I had that, I started to be able to hear. I started to be able to hear whisperings. And it took me a little while, and and some of this is in retrospect, but I began to hear the whisperings again of the nature beings. And that ability that I had had when I was really young of speaking to the fairies in the garden started to come back. But this time I was really distracted. So I was at a point in my life where I was in college and I was overcompensating for my sensitivity. And I talked a little bit about this before in a previous episode, but. Overcompensating means that I was using different tactics to try to defend myself against all of the subtle information that I was picking up and to basically pretend that I fit in. And one of the ways that I did this, um, and I talked about this with Carmen Kuhl in a previous episode, was that I overexercised. And I had an eating disorder when I was late in high school um, and feeling really lost. And as, But as I recovered from that, I still maintained a very, very high level of physical activity. So for example, it was pretty normal for me um, to be riding my bike two hours a day or to be running 45 minutes to an hour a day. And if I was triathlon training, there was a really good chance that I was running 45 minutes to an hour and swimming an hour. Or doing a two to three hour bike ride daily. So these these were the things. I mean, this was how much physical activity I was doing. And you know, for somebody who is you know really healthy, mind, body, spirit, and training for something, that could be really normal. Um, But for a full time college student who is also working, (laughs) this was kind of a lot, right? So I would have these experiences where you know, at home, again, I was sitting around knitting with my, um, you know, engaged to my first husband and listening to Hay House Radio. And I, I was really, I really liked, at the time I really liked Dorian Virtue and her, her information about fairies because it really resonated um, with me and my experiences in nature. And I would get up in the morning and I would go running in one of the canyons or one of the trails. I never ran on pavement, I always ran on the trails. And I had this sensation of the nature spirit saying, slow down, Anna, slow down, slow down, listen, like, shh, shh, shh. And I would always say, I'll come back. Like, I'm running right now, but I will come back and listen. And I never did, right? I was way too busy for that. I never did. And this just continued to happen. And, you know, fast forwarding some more, um, back to that, back to Monterey where I was taking those meditation classes and back to San Diego where now I'd signed up for the Clairvoyant training program. I was still getting up and running. There wasn't a lot of mountain biking to be had. um, So I was surfing quite a bit. And I was still hearing, shh, shh, slow down, shh, shh, shh. And another thing started happening where when I was in my yoga teacher training program, um, or near the end of it, actually. No, I I was finished with it and I was teaching, I'm sorry, my first teacher training program. And I was teaching, and I was doing an incredible amount of very strenuous yoga, like very strenuous vinyasa yoga. And again, kind of over exercising. So I do one or two hours of yoga a day, and then I might also run or go for a bike ride or go swimming or something like that, or surf. And I was still hearing that, like in my yoga practice even. I was still hearing, Anna, Anna, slow down, shh, shh, shh. And, you know, my ego was just not having it. It was just not listening. I was not listening. And I got really hurt. I got really, really hurt. I was at, I I have a history of back injury. I had been injuring my back since I was 10 years old and was a gymnast. And... I had injured it several times throughout my um, teenage years through ski racing, and and had, had spent a lot of time, you know, on ibuprofen resting. And but this time it was different. So I did the I did the pain relievers. I think I got prescribed some muscle relaxants, which I hated because I didn't like how it felt. Um, and as soon as it got a little bit better, I went back to pushing, 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 pushing. And, and this time it was in yoga, very pushing yoga. And it, I got hurt again. And I, I continued in this pattern of re-injury. And what I realized um, from that is that spirit was taking me out of the game. It was taking away the thing that kept me... listening. It was taking away the thing that kept me distracted. The injury was a turning point in my life. My husband, my then husband and I were living in San Diego. I had a couple of friends um, who were long-term and then the rest I had just met through yoga mostly. I was teaching yoga injured I was going through my second yoga teacher training, my 500-hour teacher training, injured, which, although I was really nervous about, it was such a blessing because I was able to approach yoga teacher training in a huh, huh, from, without focusing on posture, without focusing on asana, because I couldn't do asana. I couldn't walk for more than, some days I couldn't walk two blocks without extreme pain. I was always uncomfortable, I was always in discomfort. I was usually in pain. Doctors weren't helping, medications weren't helping. I also developed a pretty severe vertigo at this time. When I was also in my moon cycle and bleeding, I had severe cramps and migraines. I was becoming a physical mess. And so, while my body seemed to be completely crapping out on me, it started to turn my world upside down. And it turned my world upside down in a way that was extremely uncomfortable. The first thing it did was make it really challenging for me to do my job, which at the time was teaching yoga, and I also worked as a personal assistant for somebody. At the same time, it gave me the gift of being able to view yoga through the lens of injury. And I became very skilled at working with injury and adapting yoga classes for people with injury. So that was kind of a blessing of this, of this part of my life. <clears throat> the other piece was that I was able to use the, the information that I had received in my clairvoyant training program, which I think at this, I think I was still, no, I was still in it at this time. Um, I, I, that, that program took about a year. Um, but it, so while it was helpful, um, so hmm, back up, The information of my clairvoyant training program was helpful in that it started to help me notice the pattern of my physical issues. It helped me recognize the second chakra connections between my low back issues and my relationship. It helped me recognize the um, fear that I had been running off of in my seventh chakra rather than faith and how that was turning into Vertigo. And it helped me understand the incredible amount of tension that was in my body from living in a fear based place. But all of those insights came, uh, those insights were really hard to come by at the time. At the time, it just felt like suffering. I was in pain all the time. I was in a bit of an existential crisis because. All of the things that I had used as my therapeutic tools, running, biking, rigorous exercise of any kind, were taken away from me. They were gone. So the tools in which I had used to cope were no longer available to me. At the same time, my husband at the time thought I was crazy. He believed that the information that I was learning in my training programs, both yoga philosophy, but also um, intuitive information was complete bullshit, and believed that I was on some self-therapy mission. When my body started to have all of these symptoms, and and here's the thing I've noticed for me. As a highly sensitive person, and I see this in so many of my clients, I don't tend to present with symptoms that are easy for doctors to diagnose. In fact, that's part of the reason I've turned to natural medicine for most uh, to get most of my needs met, because I don't present in a common pattern. So I'm often told that what I have doesn't exist, which is total bullshit. Um, and so when... The doctors were coming at blank. So I worked with a neurologist who could not figure out why I had vertigo. Um, the regular orthopedic um, physical therapist could not figure out why I had back pain because I had hypermobility of the sacroiliac joint, which they weren't really able to diagnose or recognize that that's a thing. And so when all of this information came back, as like nobody knows what to do. My husband also started to believe that I was a hypochondriac. (laughs) So I'm living in this space where none of my tools work, and the person who is supposed to support me thinks that I'm crazy. It was a lot of suffering. And when I think back to this time, it almost reminds me of the hell that high school was. I should also mention that this time happened when I was about 28 to 30. And this is a time in astrology known as the Saturn return, when Saturn reaches the same place that it was in your birth chart and basically wrecks havoc on all of who you think you are and asks you to question that. When I came out of that period, things got really clear but it took me a while to get to, and it took me having these next, that I'm gonna explain, come, come to heart moments. During this time, I asked my then husband for a separation about three times. I said, you know, I think I wanna break, I wanna see if this is what we want, and really what that meant was, I wanna get out of this relationship, but I'm too fucking scared. <laughs> You know, when we had moved to San Diego, we had moved at the height of the economic crash. And although I volunteered and lent my knowledge and and all of the things in um, water quality and natural resources, I was completely unable to get any sort of job beyond somebody's personal assistant and in yoga teaching. So I'd kind of given up on that world and I wasn't making a lot of money while i was teaching yoga and giving some readings on the side i started going to ayurvedic practitioner school um, which was awesome um, and to make ends meet for myself i babysat i was a nanny to some wonderful wonderful kids who i'll love forever Um, but that's how i kind of hustled my way through this and Near the, I, I met some wonderful soul sisters in my Ayurvedic school. Um, I went to the California College of Ayurveda. They had a satellite classroom in, um, uh, in Orange County, or actually in L.A., and so I would commute to L.A. a couple times a week. And near the end of the schooling, two of the friends and I decided to travel to India, we actually were kind of on more of a break from school. Our school wasn't going to start up for, um, for a little bit longer. And so we decided to go to India and study with one of the doctors who was on the board of the directors for the school. And one of my friends is from Brazil, and she had connections with a Brazilian group of Ayurvedic students who were coming to study with some doctors. And so I just said, hey, you know, let's do it. You know, at that point, I was, had been teaching yoga, I was in Ayurvedic school, and I had been working at a spa giving Ayurvedic massage, but then that didn't end up working out. So I said, I, I was terrified to go to India, by the way. I'm not that person who's like, yeah, let's travel to all kinds of foreign places and like expand our horizons. Like, that is not me, you know? Um, so I remember actually, I took the flight, um, from LA to Chicago and I was sitting with my friend, um, our other friend had already boarded. She got first class on the way to India, but we had to sit and coach and we were getting ready to board the plane. And I was basically having a panic attack. I was freaking out. I mean, I was just so, so nervous. Um, But this felt like something that I needed to do and it also, you know, I also didn't want to miss out. And I had just turned 30. So I got on the plane and we got to India and although the, the said purpose of my trip to India was to study Ayurveda, that's not what came out of it. The thing that became very apparent for me in India was the, were how the social rules were really different. So in the U.S., we seem to have this social contract about politeness kind of being more important than than truth or what you're actually seeing or what you're actually feeling. So for example... You know, when you see someone, you say, hi, how are you doing? And you automatically say, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine, I'm good, whatever, because that's kind of what's expected, right? It's like this polite exchange. India wasn't like that. I don't know if it's that in the Indian people see more. What I suspect it is, though, is that there are fewer social rules regarding what you say. It's my guess. Not totally sure. But it became very apparent that I had been hiding in plain sight in the U.S. I'd been hiding my sadness. I'd been hiding my fear. And I was not able to hide in India. Three separate times. I was only in India for a month. And three separate times, different people said to me, why are you so sad? The first person said it to me when I was in Rishikesh and we had made friends with the owners of this um, store that was near the ashram that we stayed at. And we were, we'd been talking with the owners. My friends had bought some jewelry there. And um, the man said to me, why are your eyes so sad? I don't remember responding. I just remember being like, back the fuck, you know, <laughs> like, what, like what's going on? And then the second person was actually, I'd agreed to have the sound healing done. And um, he'd put, um, he had been doing some sort of kind of intuitive reading or whatever. And there was, I, I will admit that there was a bit of a language barrier here. But what he said to me is he He was kind of unfolding his hands, and I could tell he was trying to find the words. And he said, your heart energy is not attractive. (laughs) Apparently, I had super ugly heart energy. And he went on to explain how there was a lot of sadness there that I was hiding. And that actually, that was the second time that it was said. And I And at that point, it seemed like I couldn't really run away from this. And so I remember going back to my, to our room in the ashram with my two soul sisters and saying, saying, am I, am I like this? Like, do you see the sadness? And this was one of the only times I can remember sitting down with friends who were willing to give it to me straight. It's happened a lot more since then, but in this, during this time of fear, it didn't happen much, where they sat down with me and they said, yeah, we see this. And they said, you have this way of, of acting in the way that you think people want to see you act so that you'll be accepted. And I remember my friend saying to me, she's like, not everybody is going to like you, Anna, and it doesn't matter if everybody does. And while I'd heard these themes in my life before, it was so potent to hear them from people who I loved and who I knew loved me and wanted the very, very best for me. I cried a lot after this. It was a bit of a reckoning time for me where I realized, uh, I finally realized, like I really have been living in fear and I didn't really have a clear way forward. I didn't know how to not act the way I had been acting. And I felt really raw and really vulnerable. Part of the perk of this trip in Rishikesh was studying with this group of uh, Brazilian students and teachers. And something they did every morning was a morning meditation meditation and morning yoga class and while I my my back wasn't able to handle the daily yoga practice they they started to do their morning meditations outside and Rishikesh is on the banks of the Ganges River really at the gateway to the Himalayan mountains and so it's a very very spiritual very sacred place and so you know up until this point in my life from about that time in Colorado to here, I'd been connecting with uh, this kind of female sense of spirit, um, Gaia, Earth. You know, really connecting to that kind of grounded sense of of earth magic, and and loved that. But it still, I still felt like something was missing. I didn't have this internal sense of guidance. It was more difficult for me to get a consistent sense of. Direction or guidance um, in my life, so I decided to join this final meditation because it, they they did it outside on the banks of the Ganges river this this one morning, and right outside of our ashram on the Ganges there there was built this humongous sto- statue of Lord Shiva. Now, I had never really connected to a masculine deity in a way. As I said, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd had experiences of that spiritual energy, but I just hadn't really been able to resonate um, with the, the way that that was presented. What's interesting about this meditation, um, we went and sat out kind of in front of the statue on the bank of the river, and it was cold, we were in blankets, and the whole meditation was in Portuguese. So I don't know what they were saying because I don't speak Portuguese. As much as my friend would like me to speak Portuguese, I don't speak it, <laughs> not yet. And so I just kind of self-guided went into this space within my heart and kind of put out a call or an offering to Shiva or to, to what I was kind of seen as the the masculine form of source energy or spirit energy and I got a response and the response was a clear clear sense of love within my heart and I remember asking the source of love like I want to live differently I want to live from this place of love. I don't want to live in fear anymore. I don't want to be, you know, what what people wanted me. I, I want to be me. I want to live from that place. And this was where I had this coming to heart, where I felt this resounding sense of yes in my body. And I knew that I wasn't just receiving spiritual information from one deity it was more powerful than that and what was so brilliant about this is it became a constant peace in my life i was able to access it on a daily basis because part of giving up the fear for me was giving up the rules and giving up any lingering fears that I had about doing it wrong. And so in my daily yoga practice, my meditation practice, I started, I mean, a bit of a, I could call it a prayer practice, but for me, it was more kind of like shooting the shit with spirit, you know? <laughs> and yes, I was, I was asking earnestly and yes, I was in kind conversation, but, um, it didn't feel reverent cuz i don't know how to be that you no know, all i wanted to be was me when i came home from india i came home with a clear sense well i shouldn't say a clear sense but i came home with a willful desire to work on my marriage but you know i had asked for help living from my heart living from authenticity and I will never forget the sensation I got back to San Diego and I was standing out on the curb at the airport and I saw my husband's red truck we we own this red Toyota truck together come around the corner and in my mind I was excited and as that truck came around the corner, my heart dropped into my stomach. And I had this deep, heavy sense of foreboding. And, and I really tried to hide it for the next couple of days. I, you know, I gave him a hug and, you know, so happy to see you. and. Um, And I had a really difficult time reintegrating to regular life. He wanted, he immediately, actually on the way home, jumped into a conversation about taxes. And I was like, I just traveled for 24 hours. I just got back from what I would consider my Disneyland. And you want to talk about taxes? (laughs) I woke up the next morning to find myself in my bed in San Diego and I just burst out crying and I was crying not just because I was home in San Diego but because I had to live differently. I had to live without fear. I had to live in this place that I hadn't ever really lived before and that prospect was really really daunting. Something that I realized I left out was before I went to India, when I was kind of in the midst of asking for separation from my then husband and trying to figure out what the next steps were for me, I sat down and did a really long meditation one day. I mean, I was injured. I had to lay on my back anyway. So I um, did this meditation and I just kind of asked to be guided to the next step, if I remember correctly. And in the meditation, I saw, I saw two paths, and the one that I was on kind of looked like a path going into a cave, and as I traveled down that path and into the cave, the further I traveled through the cave, the more I turned black and white if that makes sense, so it's like I started out with all of these colors, I was very colorful, and when I traveled down that through that cave, parts of me were kind of scraped off on the sides of this gray cave, these colors were scraped off, and so there was this sense that I would be letting go or leaving behind really important parts of myself, like the, the parts that made me colorful, the parts that made me me. And it was really clear that this is the path that I was on currently with my current husband. And so I, I backed out of that, came back to my starting point, and then I saw another path. And this path led me up, uh, it kind of seemed like a road on the, the side of a mountain or something like that, or a trail on the side of the mountain, and it was so bright. And it was so sunny that it was a bit blinding. So you couldn't really see the pathway forward, but it, it's kind of like that sensation if you've ever hiked at dawn and come up over a mountaintop at dawn and it's blinding, but it's full of so much potential and a beauty that's very rare and you know, this, this meditation obviously left me with a really clear sense of um, time to get off the current path for something different. But like I said, it took me a while to build up the courage to do it. I was scared. I was scared of so many things. I didn't have my, you know, reliable source of my own income. I, um, you know and i i didn't really have the belief that the way that i was being in the world was valid so when i came back from india a lot of that i mean i felt like i'd kind of been stripped bare and not stripped from my fear but more i had been illuminated to to really what the what the fear was, which was a a lie, (laughs) you know, a lie to kind of keep me uh, safe within the status quo. Um, And with this renewed connection to source, which I felt in my body as a physical sensation in my heart area. And I realized that uh, this type of heart sensation and connection is not the way that everybody feels connection. And in fact, you know, saying that everybody should actually feel connection in their body is a form of ableism, um, being, being able-bodied. So I totally recognize that for um, some of us with, you know, with trauma in our body or with chronic pain or, you know, just because we operate differently, you, you might not have the same sensation. So I just want to be clear that I'm not speaking for everyone that like, this is the way you find spirit, (laughs) but this is just the way that it worked for me. And I still had this, you know, mental, this kind of uh, hanging on to this last piece of, um, you know, the, the mind's idea of what came next. And so I, I really still put an effort forth um, in my marriage and I suggested therapy and I r- really worked to see what, um, t- to see what I was grateful for in the marriage and it just didn't work. You know, it just, it just didn't work. So I, so we, um, separated and divorced and It was a really interesting time because in so many ways I was floundering as a person. I felt really lost because the future that I had been building and the future that I had envisioned was gone. Um, And and I kind of went through a period where I didn't plan anything because what I had in place of, of that vision, of that future was a sense of spiritual support that I had never really felt as consistently before. So my life after divorce became an exercise in trust where before I would think my way through life and I would allow my mind to guide me. And after divorce, because I I kind of didn't trust my mind, my mind had guided me into all these fearful ways of living. I took on a very feeling way through life, and a very in a way that I started to trust my um, feelings, and not just my like emotional reactions. I don't mean my emotional reactions. I mean you know, getting quiet and, and seeing what actually resonates, that type of feeling, kind of the, the, the more subtle feeling, I guess, or the more internal feeling, that was the guide. And I, you know, something that my students will recognize me saying is, I let myself be in kindergarten about it. I let myself be a total beginner in in living this way. And you know, refused to give myself a hard time and just said, hey, I am going to practice as a beginner, this new way of living, this new way of living based on what resonates. And, uh, and and it's okay if it doesn't make sense to my mind. And so I had to I really had to commit to, you know, meditating and getting out in nature and things that would calm my mind down because my mind was really really attached to knowing the story. And this new way of living for me made it's made knowing the story secondary. So from that point on, um kind of that coming to heart has really allowed me. Well, it it both allowed me and it also propelled me into more of the life that I follow now, which is a resonance based. So the 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 things that I do, the things that I spend my time on, the programs that I create in my business, uh, the focus there, it's all resonance based. When I have an idea that comes from my mind first and that's very like well thought out. I know it's not the direction I need to go and I've experimented with this. I've you know been like I need to fill my calendar with a course and if if I if I go from that place of trying to think something up to fill space, it never works. Like it doesn't sell, nobody signs up. Um it's just it's the old for me it's the old way. And so you know, I'm continuing to, to practice this this feeling, um, you know, heart-centered feeling way forward. And it's not always as, like, mystical and wonderful as it sounds. There's times where I can get no sensation at all and I just feel totally blind. And that's part of it, you know, and that's why I always have a teacher. And for me, having a teacher is incredibly important because she helps me, uh, what I say, like notice the spinach on my teeth and notice when my ego is getting in the way, notice when I'm falling back into old patterns, Um, really just helps keep me on the path that I've chosen. Um, So I I really believe in having a teacher and that is is something that really helps me. All right, so I hope that this story has been helpful for you um, in you know, helping to understand how I kind of found the confidence to read, to be be um, reading, and kind of pioneering in this intuitive life. I know that you know everybody's story is different, so this was just a piece of mine. All right, now we're gonna do the group oracle part of this segment, which I promised you in the beginning. I'm going to give you a moment to come back to your question or to formulate a question in your mind, and I'm going to give you a couple of seconds pause right now. Your story is like the tall grass of a meadow. Have you pushed it aside to see what's underneath? to see what's in between those long themes that have run in your memory and circulated in your mind? Have you become curious and searched through that tall, thick grass for the gems that are hiding there? When you're able to do that search and you're able to appreciate what was there for you, more are put in your pathway moving forward. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.